I'm journalist and podcaster Emma Gunner-Wardner, although you can call me Emma Guns. And in these podcast conversations, I want to get to the bottom of those topics that can feel confusing and bamboozling. And today we're tackling a tough one, heartbreak. Not just the heartbreak of a romantic relationship ending, but the devastation of when a friendship comes to an end. And in many ways, it can be even more shocking and painful. An expert, Shelley Whitehead, is going to explain why and share the tools to navigate through it and come out of the other side stronger than you were before. Sometimes we need to walk away from relationships because they're harming us. We've got to look at how we're showing up in a relationship. Are we over-functioning and getting nothing in return? Why are we over-functioning? Why have we formed these connections? So we have to come back to what is best for us. And initially, it's cutting the contact and having that clearing space because healing occurs when there isn't any other influence or anything else coming in. Closure doesn't come from someone else. The best closure is they don't want to be friends. We are <clears throat> at different ends of the scale. We are wanting connection and they're not. They've moved away from connection. A broken heart. If you know the feeling of heartbreak, then you will know how painful it is mentally, physically, and emotionally. It's the feeling of the wind being knocked out of you, the ground slipping away from beneath your feet. And when all at once you question everything about yourself, doubting and questioning everything you thought to be true. If you've been rejected, the pain and self-doubt can feel catastrophic. And while we do commiserate with each other over heartbreak, particularly when it comes to romantic relationships, Heartbreak can occur in friendships too, and while being a kind ear can be helpful, no one really tells you how to navigate through the very natural processes of heartbreak. Until now. My guest in this episode is Shelley Whitehead, and she has written the guide to healing your heartbreak and how to navigate the very natural and normal but sometimes confusing emotions we go through when heartbreak happens. Much like the Kubler-Ross stages of grief model, heartbreak follows a not dissimilar path. And perhaps what is so empowering about Shelley's book is normalizing these emotions, affording the reader the understanding that these extreme emotions do not make you bad or wrong, and that each emotion is a stepping stone through the heartbreak. And though you may feel as though you lose yourself when heartbreak happens, I wonder whether it's a way, albeit an unpleasant one, to get to know and find yourself even better than before. Perhaps Shelley has some thoughts about that. Welcome to the Emma Gun Show. Shelley, how are you? Emma, I'm really good. <laughs> Here we are at the beginning of a new year. And I'm so pleased to be with you today because it's such a relevant topic, especially in January. Um, I was at a networking event yesterday and someone mentioned, one of the solicitors, that January the 8th is divorce day. Mm. So relationships end. Um, particularly after um, intense time spent together. Um, but so many people are reflecting on their lives as they go into a new year and wondering um, and planning and looking at relationships and friendships across the board as to what serves them and what doesn't. So, yeah, um, heartbreak is something not only am I well familiar with, because there's no loss that I haven't experienced, mm. but the ending, as you mentioned there, of friendship is so particularly relevant because mm. it's not given much airtime or attention. And it happens and it can be the same or sometimes even worse. 
than the ending of a romantic relationship. It's it's very interesting you say that because I have spoken more about friendship heartbreak on this podcast, albeit in a very superficial way, which is why I'm glad to really dig into it with you here. And every single time I talk about it, somebody will get in touch to say, I, I just, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm heartbroken. Everything's changed mm-hmm. more so than with a romantic relationship. Because I think with romantic relationships, friendship groups sort of splinter off quite naturally and everybody kind of understands. Mm-hmm. It was, people take a side, let's face it. But I think things are, are very different when it comes to friendships. And that means that actually the process can be slightly muddier, slightly more difficult. There isn't that clarity on how to navigate that ending. Because mm. as you said, when it comes to romantic relationships, people do take sides. And it's very clear as to who's on what side and what path to travel. Yeah, <clears throat> These friendships could have gone on for many years, having shared the deepest secrets, the deepest and the darkest secrets with someone that many people don't share with anyone else. Um. And then suddenly it ends and there's a social group because the ending of a relationship generally has these like components to it. Um, Romantic one has one that possibly the others don't, but physical, you know, the physical time we spend together, the emotional, the social, financial and spiritual, Mm. the energetic components. And I put that into there as well. Um, And there's a huge part of our lives that is now, I mean, it's ended. And again, the who am I without you mm. starts to play out. Um, and perhaps there are friendship groups in common. And it's so distressing for the others on the other side uh, as to what to do. Because it isn't as clear cut as a divorce. As in, you were always my friend before and now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> these friendships you know, have deep roots it's very distressing and um there isn't enough support out there for this there isn't and you said something really um that i'd love to unpick actually which is um who am i who am i without you and that is something that i think um one doesn't realize is happening you don't realize you're losing yourself necessarily because it doesn't feel as though you're losing yourself when you're in a partnership, whether it's romantic or whether it's friendship, but you there, you are changing. And then when you're suddenly on your own again, I think that can feel, yeah, you don't know what you're going back to because you're fundamentally changed. Completely. I'm going to pop into this space and ending while I was writing this mm-hmm. book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a 44-year friendship of mine ended. And it was one of the losses that I hadn't yet experienced. And it was profound to see how that grief process played out mm. for me. So it's almost like I was observing and in it at the same time. And the utter shock and denial initially as to what had happened and feeling so bereft Um the change happens in three seconds. Mm. There's a clear before and then after. And that ungrounded feeling 
um, takes over initially. It was a profound change in my life and um, I'm so much better for it. But in those initial, and I'll tell you why I'm better for it in a few minutes, but mm. in those initial weeks, uh, and I say the first six months, there was this huge hole in my life because this is someone I spoke to, if not every second day, um, sometimes every day. And in the routines that we're so used to, there's this gap. And what do we do with that gap? And it's the unconscious and conscious coming together to process the loss, but the behaviors and the habits <laughs> still have to catch up. Mm, yeah, Because you know, I remember driving in my car and almost, wanting to call this uh, friend of mine and it's like oh I don't do that anymore mm. um so it's the same as and not the same as any other loss mm. um mm -hmm. it seems as though when anything like this happens mm. you spend a lot of time asking why and is that the is that the first very natural thing to want to do? It always is because it's like losing something and trying to find it. And the reason why is so important to everyone. But here's the thing. Foreclosure, the reasons why, generally don't make sense. Um Closure doesn't come from someone else. The best closure is they don't want to be friends. We are <clears throat> at different ends of the scale. We are wanting connection and they're not. They've mm. moved away from connection. Um, I remember reaching out and saying, how you feel and what you think is so important to me. Could you tell me why? Mm. And an email came back because this is all done over text and email. Um, and nothing made sense. And I'm prepared to look at anything that anyone puts my way, you know, whatever they say about me, because there's relevance in all of that, and you know, it's part of my work. Mm. But it didn't make sense. And I unpacked this with a um, psychologist girlfriend. Uh, and I realized we were, you know, opposite ends of the scale, opposite ends of the world, opposite ends of, you know, thought processes, feelings. And when someone doesn't want connection anymore, it has ended. So that point of closure is from within ourselves and picking up our self-worth and looking at what is so valuable about us, what we bring to friendships, assessing that as we go through the grief process. Um, so the why, generally, um, we're not going to get the answers. The clear mm -hmm. answer is if you do not value and respect me and you do not want me in your life, it's ended because I do value and respect myself. I see what I bring to a relationship and it's done. Um, but working through the grief is the other part of the process. You've, you've brought back a very vivid memory of mine, which is when I was at university, my boyfriend, quite rightly, now that I look back mm -hmm. on it with, uh, <laughs> with age and wisdom, broke yeah. up with me. And I was inconsolable. I couldn't deal with the rejection. Mm. I couldn't deal with the end of it. And I was only what, 20 or whatever. Mm. And I remember staying at my friend Ellen's house that night. We were getting into bed 
And I can remember vividly the pajamas that she was wearing, like, you know, the scrunchie that she had on her wrist. Like, I can remember all of that very vividly. And I think, and she just said, he just doesn't want to be your boyfriend anymore, Emma. It's as simple as that. And she wasn't being cruel at all. I think I've probably been like whining for several hours by this point. But I remember, and that that memory comes back to me so vividly, because even in the moment through all of that distress, I was thinking, how can I make that not be the case? But I wish I could believe it. I wish I could do that. I wish I could be like Ellen. And I wish I could just process that information like a computer and go, oh, fine. Okay, let's move on. But I knew it was just this massive roadblock. And that's where I think it's still embedded in my brain as such a clear memory. Those epiphany moments, you know, you could gauge the temperature of the room. And as you say, the pajama she was wearing, the scrunchie, you know, hey, um, because it is such an epiphany moment. Um, and you were probably in, you know, the if onlys and the mm. what ifs, which is the bargaining stage, you know, the shock and then the bargaining, um, which come close together. And it's a hard thing to process. The brain, you know, goes into this process of, you know, I can't believe it and what if and how can I make it not the case Mm. because it's not something we want. And yet the inevitable has happened. And the steps I put in place when I work with clients and things that I put in place myself, you know, if we're able to cut the contact, it's one of the most essential steps initially. And self-worth doesn't go and beg for love to come back. Mm. Self-worth asks why, listens, um, does its best to understand someone else's perspective. What doesn't make sense will not make sense. Um, And self-worth goes, okay, I hear you, goodbye. And then picks up those shattered pieces of heart and finds gold because there is this gold process of what we discover about ourselves when endings happen. Mm. And for me, um, all of my endings have been difficult and yet the best thing that's ever happened to me, it's the thing I said I'll speak about in a few minutes, But picking up those pieces and finding myself has been one of the hardest things. The best because I'm stronger and wiser and more defined in my worth. I'm open. And of course, because of the work that I do, it has served everything that I help everyone with in this room. Mm. Um, So all of that experience and of course my training Um, comes into that there's no one that I have worked with over the nearly past 18 years who doesn't see that sixth stage of grief that I speak about in the book which is called meaning Mm. everyone comes to that beautiful meaning which is really that heart that's now put together with that fine gold of wisdom learnings more love because we're never without love and support. So when this disappears, something else comes in, but very often we don't recognize it because we're stuck in this hole of grief. Mm. There's something that I want to um, mention here as well. 
when we go through loss, something ends. Most often, very often, any unprocessed grief from the past lands up in that space too. So if there is any overwhelming grief from the past, we'll be processing more overwhelming grief. Not that we necessarily think about it, it just makes it so much harder. Mm. Goodness. So that's why it can feel like a tidal wave of emotions, because actually it might not just be the thing in front of you that's painful. It's everything else that it's (laughs) opened the doors for. That's it. And it floods in because if we haven't properly dealt with grief from the past, picked up those pieces, filled them with gold, found ourselves, our authentic selves, Mm. with clearly defined boundaries, with the ability to ask for what we want and need, we'll be processing it again. I want to ask you also about um, this idea of, so you have a, I'm sure everyone listening has had a friendship or a relationship that has ended, whether on their to- their terms or not on their terms. And it's just one of those things that we think, well, that's just life. You're going to lose people along the way. This is all part of experience. Mm. And then I know I've done this where I think, did I need to never speak to those people again? Now, even if you don't try to leave on bad terms, if you leave and the door is closed, you are leaving on bad terms. And one thing that I have definitely felt over the last few years is I don't want to walk into a room and feel that there's a human landmine in there because there is a ghost from my past that is no longer in my life, but might still be on the periphery. And so this attractive sort of um, seductive idea of never falling out with anybody and always leaving things on good terms kind of seeps into the consciousness of, did I do it wrong? Is there a way I could have left those friendships? Is there a way I could have ended those relationships without without it being hateful? And I, I do want you to weigh in on that because I think that's something that does bother me, actually. I don't, I don't like having... I don't like having bad endings. Yeah, and sometimes it's out of our control. Um. Uh, for me, there's nothing as brutal as an ending. Mm. Uh, endings are brutal. Uh, by a text, an email. Um, because when you're in the same space as someone, you can read the body language, you can mm. feel the energy. And yet, that's out of our control. So we have to come back to what is best for us. And you know, initially, it's cutting the contact and having that clearing space because healing occurs when there isn't any other influence or anything else coming in. Finding out who we are. And then if this is someone that we, you know, we, we're bound to bump into again or they live around the corner or we work with them, we're in that same space um, or they are social connections where we're bound to see them best way to handle it is to treat someone as a business associate the previous connection has ended mm-hmm. a new connection has to be formed and not talking really about a connection because this is really superficial mm-hmm. it's a way of showing up how do i 
meet you and with all eyes, you know, perhaps observing those who know, but how do I show up in the same space as you? Mm. So there really is no space for emotion in this type of situation. It's really a formal, hello, I hope you're well. Um, you don't have to get into any conversation, but acknowledging. People have said to me, I know they're going to be at this event tonight, or there was a wedding that my client was going to. And literally, you, I said, be the first one to greet mm. him or be the first one to greet her because it's out of the way. There's nothing else. And keep it superficial. How mm. are you? Good to see you. Move on. Don't get engaged in conversation. Yeah, it's very, very interesting you say that. One of the classiest things that I ever saw, actually, there was a when um when I first started on magazines, I went mm. to an event and a girl was another girl was also at the event. Now I never really knew her at school, but her sister was not particularly nice. She was a bit of a bully. And so yeah. by association, obviously, the little sister, you kind of keep your distance. Mm. And I turned up at this event. And I thought, oh, my God, it's her, it's her. And she came over and said, hi, it's so nice to see you. Um, I hope you have a fabulous evening. And she walked away. And still, again, one of these clear memories of thinking, what a classy, classy woman. She was younger than me, but she was way more mature in that situation because she knew her sister thought I was an idiot. Maybe her mm. sister was right. But basically she just, she took all the air out of that situation and was just classy and professional. And I will always hold her in high regard for that. That's exactly how to handle a situation like this. So um, let's talk about, um, and we can talk about that a little bit more, but I'm just talking about cutting contact in those initial stages, because I think you've mentioned it a few times and it's the kind of thing that we can all think that we can do. But in reality, in those moments when you probably need to cut contact, all you can think of is speaking to that person. Because as you said earlier, because it's a reflex, because it's something that you're so used to doing, that in times of distress, that would be the person that you would ask. And now that is no longer available to you. So how does one successfully cut contact is there a specific amount of time and uh do you just need to throw your phone in the river <laughs> <laughs> assuming that there's no reason to be in contact there are no loose ends to tie up mm -hmm. we cut the contact and there's only one way to do it to do it mm. um what I did because I didn't want to be looking or seeing or um, observing anything um, if you don't want me in your life um, it's because you don't value what I bring to the relationship or friendship anymore uh, then I cannot be connected to you mm -hmm. not because I'm malicious or vindictive because I need to heal my heart and I don't want to be seeing anything that's going to be triggering me mm -hmm. um, you don't want to you know, have anything to do with me. So block, 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 delete, um, file, photographs and things from the past. You may wish to get rid of them or you may not because in years to come, you go, wow, I look great 10 years ago <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with this friend. So <clears throat> and to, to file those photos, not to have any connection or association, trigger or reminder. Mm. 
And the only way to do it is to do it. That's it. Not to stalk. So if you've blocked or if you've deleted or if you, there isn't that temptation to do so because it's triggering Mm. and you're not going to get the answers. It's done. And it might sound harsh. Every single client who does it, because we sit in this room often or we're on Zoom because I've been calling over the world and it's, where's your phone? Mm. And I see this, oh, no. Um, Of course, I would never force anyone to do anything. And the one word they use thereafter is, oh, I feel so relieved. Mm. That feeling of relief, the word relief, relieved, is the operative word. Yes, because I suppose before phones and before social media, the way that we used to haunt ourselves with our ex-friendships or ex-relationships would be to meet up with mutual friends and say, how are they doing? That's how you'd find out that they had a new partner. That's how you'd find out any little snippet of information. Now you see it in a picture on social media. And again, it, it it's it, the same mechanism or the same tactic, but different mechanisms, isn't it? The social element is still there. Remember, it's one of those five yeah. areas where um, we, you know, we've shared connection. And the most important thing to say to our social connections, who will probably still be in contact, is I really don't want to hear, discuss, um, or bring that into our space together. I respect, mm-hmm. you know, that you have this friendship. It's been a painful thing for me. Or we can say I'm healing. Or it's not something that I want to address in our friendship. And it's a very important part socially mm. um, if we're in close connection with someone else. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's important to reference this because we're talking about heartbreak happening to us. Um, but people listening to this, I'm sure will be in friendships that perhaps they feel are perhaps not helpful anymore or for whatever reason might be making them unhappy. And I think there can be heartbreak in ending a relationship too, even if you're the one who instigates the end of it. Um, Can we talk about that a little bit? A hundred percent. Sometimes we need to walk away from relationships because they're harming us. Mm. Um, yeah, I've done this in the past where you love someone, but love is not enough. There's so much more to a really close connection. And if someone is unwilling to work on themselves, unwilling to meet us and address needs that need to be met, Unable to self-reflect or to take responsibility. Um, If they are showing up and taking all the energy in the relationship and we're left feeling we're always in deficit, Mm. perhaps it just is not the right relationship. And I remember addressing this on a podcast recently when they asked that question, you know, if it's not meeting our needs and is it time to end it? Not after, not until we've had a discussion with mm. the party concerned. We don't just exit and go, I'm done. It needs to be addressed. Because as I said in the previous podcast, no one has been to relationship school. Mm. And we need to give someone an opportunity to address whatever it is within those boundaries and parameters, our needs and concerns. 
And if they're completely unwilling to, if they're defensive, if they're critical, if they shut down on us, if they become contemptuous, we cannot continue with that relationship. But we always give it a chance and see how they show up. Are they willing to? Mm-hmm. Can we get some help together? Can we address it in some way? And if not, if it's, you know, no, then for our own self-worth and happiness, we must leave. So it doesn't make you a horrible person to inflict heartbreak on mm-hmm. someone else. <laughs> this is where it get this is where it gets complicated, isn't it? Those who do not want to do the work, um, <clears throat> who are not prepared to take responsibility, need to face the consequences of their actions. Because a relationship is a two-way thing. There's a flow um, <clears throat> in the book. Sorry, I don't know why I have a, a gruff voice this morning. Um, there are 12 core ingredients of a healthy relationship. I've spent a lot of time working on that and what is necessary. We can't be without any of them, mm-hmm. you know, from safety to trust to adventure to presence, receptivity, play, um, the top of my head that's what I'm coming up with you know reflection um yeah so if that stuff is not present in our connection what what is it you know about ourselves that keeps wanting something from someone mm. that we're just not going to get and very often you know, we hear that word narcissist so often mm. I mean, there's 36 defining traits of a narcissist, you know, overt narcissist, covert narcissist. But in my world, you know, two of the most defining traits of a narcissist is zero compassion, zero empathy. And we've got to look at how we're showing up in a relationship. Are we over-functioning? and getting nothing in return. Why are we over-functioning? Why have we formed these connections? Mm. Um, So I find that when people really work on their lives and themselves, or when one relationship ends, often it flags up other relationships that aren't working. Mm -hmm. And that journey of personal development and growth is a catalyst for a lot of change in our lives. Mm. What about um, the devastating effect of heartbreak where it it feels like the worst thing that you could possibly go through and so you don't want to ever do it again and it that instead of these fine gold threads that mend your heart, Mm. it's Kevlar, it's um, a seven-inch metal wall and you actually Mm. make yourself unavailable. I think that's quite a normal reflex to think I never want to go through that again because actually putting your heart on the line is really difficult is that something in your work that you have found is another stage that people go through of I'm sure some people want to get straight back into another relationship because they love relate the relationship part so much but other people focus on the end of it and so never want to step foot into that arena again I was working with a young couple last night who've been in a relationship for six months and they're planning some amazing things. Um, So I've worked with her and he wanted to come and meet me as well. So we did some couples work and both of them have been through devastating heartbreaks before. And this is exactly what we addressed. 
Here's what I said. As your teacher, as your mentor, I can tell you right now, I do not want to go through devastating heartbreak again. Oh, the idea of it is, I don't even want to go there. Mm. But here's the big thing. Love equals risk. And it's worth it. Having gone through a huge heartbreak, survived it and come out the other side, means that we have the ability to do that again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to one of my little formulas I use all the time. So when anything happens, once we kind of just picked ourselves up and we're able to look up the horizon again, we go, we ask this one question, how am I going to make this work for me? And then we implement space, structure, support, sunshine. It's the metaphorical sunshine. I know we have it today, but it's the little bit of something that lifts our state from here to there. And with that formula, take that space, but it's the structure to every single day and the support that we bring into our space that will enable us to move through this huge challenge or whatever obstacle is in the way. And if we've done it before, yeah, the, you know, it is possibly a reflex reaction to keep this heart in a cage and safe, to show up as our not authentic selves or vulnerable selves. Mm. But the things that make us most attractive to anyone, number one, we love our lives. We're confident. We are authentic. There's nothing worse than meeting someone who is heart in a cage and plastic, plastic covering. We can't penetrate. Mm. And the fourth thing is our vulnerability. And that is our ability to connect and to share at a much deeper level. So to really find a great connection, we've got to be this point of being to facilitate that connection, which requires vulnerability and authenticity. Otherwise, mm. we're going to attract in someone who is equally as superficial, just dealing with life at that level. And those are not the connections we want. Well, I'm assuming they aren't. Some people may. <laughs> wouldn't work for me. So scary. And, you know, as I teach this and help people to overcome it, believe me, it's the last thing I ever want to go through. Mm. And having gone through the ending of the you know, 44-year friendship, which took me into that space, it was amazing to see just observing myself that within two weeks I was back into I know my worth I mm -hmm. know my value I can do this and the rest then was working through those gaps and holes that are left in our lives and filling them and looking at the benefits and here's the thing it's one of the exercises we do in the very beginning I'll often give it out on a discovery call look at the 25 benefits of not being with this person, sharing your life with them. And some people can come up with, I came up with about 67. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> some people come to about 12, whatever it is, it's a benefit. Mm -hmm. For me, I had more time to focus on other things, other people, um, finish the book, whatever it is. I saw the benefits and then I looked at where else is it showing up in my life. 
and looking at where the support and the love already exists or perhaps something new comes in. Very often we close one door and it opens up something completely new. We mm. never expected and it's like, look at this gift that's just walked into my life. Mm. When one is experiencing heartbreak, how much, and this is such a bizarre, strange question, even as it's formulating in my brain, but how much of your heartbreak should you show and the reason I'm asking that mm. is because, again, those people who appear bulletproof, I'm always envious of people who look as though they can navigate the, a huge storm of emotion with uh, as if they're on a calm sea. But when you're heartbroken, it's very, I mean, everything changes and uh, it, it's extremely painful and it's hard not to see it on someone's face, even how someone stands or sits, you can see that there's something. Um, is it okay to show that you're heartbroken? What are the boundaries there? We'll be right back after this short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Is it okay to show that you're heartbroken? What are the boundaries there? Depends on the person. Um... Some people, I remember my therapist many years ago, um, we were, I was seeing her because my husband was dying at the time he had cancer. And she was talking about grief. And she said, people very often grieve as they live. <laughs> I found that quite interesting. Um, so if they're really out there sharing everything, um, very often the grieving process is very much the same. So it depends on the personality. There isn't a should or a should um, unless it is affecting us in a negative way. Mm -hmm. You can't hide grief. Mm. And when I was going through a huge, huge heartbreak uh, a good number of years ago, I literally lost 10 kilograms. And I didn't have 10 kilograms to lose. So it was evident that something was really wrong. My children thought I was going to die. <laughs> I was, I do grief well, mm -hmm. but you know, in my, in my intimate world. <laughs> so those closest to me saw the relentless tears, mm -hmm. the extreme weight loss, the inability to sleep. And you know, I couldn't hide that, but I still in a professional capacity was incredibly professional in my work. Mm. A girlfriend of mine um, whose relationship ended said she showed up as a shell of herself for three months 
um, but it was very professional in the office space. Mm. Those closest to us will know. Some people, and I work with a lot of famous people and some really big influences, don't contain their grief. They share it publicly. Mm, mm. I'm an introvert. I like to keep things really close and share with those closest to me. Um, so everyone will have you know, some form of a comment or an opinion about what should be shared, should it be shared. It's an individual's need perhaps to share, to get the support. That's how they get their support or it's how they live their lives. That's a really good point that you just made about public displays of grief and heartbreak, actually, mm. because if you think about the way that it has been done for so many years, it's um, mutually compiled <laughs> announcements talking about conscious uncoupling. Please, please to grant us privacy at this difficult time. Mm. But mm. we have moved into a space more recently that is like that is more raw of yeah. people crying and actually there is something so validating about seeing that it's not just you who experiences those depths because I think that can definitely uh, it can that's how it can feel because you don't you, your grief is not a mm. common experience your heartbreak is not a common experience and so it can feel like well if this is the worst thing I've ever felt therefore and I can't imagine anyone else could have ever felt like this because if they if they did, how could how could they be out in the world? Yeah. <laughs> so you assume it's the worst thing ever. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on something here when you talk about sharing. Mm. So there's a part of that grief stage, anger, and this is where it can be incredibly disruptive mm. um, in the way we share. I'm going to go back to when I was living in South Africa. My son was at school um, with a famous ex-footballer son. But unfortunately, the parents were going through a divorce. And it ended up in the Sunday Times. And this was fueled by anger. So we're talking about grief being shared <clears throat> in an angry way out there. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. You can't take it back. And you've literally just thrown your dirty laundry or whatever it is out there. And in years to come, it would be everybody regrets it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> there are other ways of expressing grief, um, but really watch that anger. There's a healthier way to handle it, not publicly. There's uh, an interesting thing that we touched on earlier about taking sides, yeah. more so with romantic relationships. But um I think I'm sure uh, I've definitely experienced this and I'm sure people listening will know what it's like to have kept one's own counsel only to realize that perhaps the other person has run free <laughs> and there's been something of a smear campaign, but it's, and it's so tempting to mm. get other people to think the way that you do about somebody, isn't it? It really is because it's so unfair when you hear about that smear campaign. I've been working with someone recently um, who dated someone in public. Hi. <laughs> and there's been a big smear campaign. And as I say to this person, your closest really do know you. Mm. And whatever's been said about you 
we know is not true. Mm. Don't say a word. Because whatever you say, you know, mm. he or she doth protest too much. <laughs> you can't change what other people are going to say and going to do. Mm-hmm. Very often we want to get the truth out there about the situation. And there's a fine line between between truth and smear campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, a truth is a sentence. Well, I suppose from whose perspective we can look at that too. Um, but being defensive is not going to help. Mm. Eventually it does go away. Yeah. You you talk in the book about love being addictive and perhaps this is why it can be so easy to want to go back to the most recent love. Mm. Is there an appropriate, mm. not amount of time, because I understand that's far too uh, simplistic a way of looking at it, but that feeling of wanting love again, is there an appropriate sort of, I don't know, amnesty? <laughs> I managed to do it without using the word time. Is there an appropriate amnesty between love, especially when one is experiencing heartbreak? Because it can be so tempting, can't it, to go from one to the next and to chase the high of new love or whatever stage it is in a relationship that gets you very excited and makes you feel good? Mm. It's a really great question. How long do we wait before an ending, between ending and a new beginning? Depends on how well we know ourselves and what we're looking for and how to approach it. And are we truly over heartbreak? So there's a process of an ending and working through that. Knowing who we are, who am I without you, What does my life look like? Creating a whole new vision is absolutely essential because the old one has ended. Mm. And, you know, the dreams that we had with this particular person, you know, just disintegrated completely. So these, these steps are essential. We don't need to speak about anyone anymore. If we literally are waking up and we're going, oh, the sun's shining, I'm looking forward to today. Not the dread and devastation that comes with the initial stages of heartbreak. Mm. I normally say it takes about 12 weeks. And my book is a 28 days to transformation. Within the book, you get it. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask why, why 28 days? Because um, that's a, that's a big promise. Well, As you'll see when you go reading through in the very beginning, it could take you three months. It could be a 28-day process. But what you're going to discover is where you need to dive deeper. Mm. So it's a 28-day process to work through grief. Or it could be that you're going to take your time and each day is really a three-step process. Mm. There's nothing definitive. But 28 days to transformation, this information is going to transform your world. Love can be addictive. Wanting to go back and, you know, letting go is a process. But when we really understand ourselves and we've been able to do that relationship inventory, um, you know, looking at the past, the familial, the um, friendships, doing a whole inventory, creating a new vision, understanding boundaries, um, 
and perhaps where we need to get more expert information or do a deeper dive. Uh, it's a very holistic process. So big promise, maybe, yeah. but it's not exactly just 28 days you're going to be healed. Are we ever? I'm still working on stuff and I teach it. So we're never fully healed. We're always working on something and developing more. Um, but ready to approach love when we're not hankering after the past, when we are waking up and looking forward to today, we know what our vision looks like for life in seven life areas. I created a little creative visioning course, went live like I didn't have enough to deal with already. We launched it on the 28th of December. It's a short course, but it's packed and powerful with what does my life look like? What do I want? Who am I in these seven life areas? When I was going through the book and there, you do have to do a lot of work. It's not just a, a read it, process it and put it down and you fixed. Mm -hmm. It's a, you're going to need to stop here and do the exercises. Mm -hmm. And I, when I was going through it, I thought I can't, there are so many times, and I don't know whether it's a British thing particularly, where if somebody does linger in the stage of, in stages of heartbreak or doesn't seem to bounce back very quickly, they can be told, oh, get over it, get on with it. It, it. it suddenly, people will give you a certain amount of time with which they will have compassion, but then the door does close on it. And I know, dear listeners, I have definitely overstayed my welcome with my, in the past, but actually, I mean, you don't have to be a genius to work out. It was me I was talking about with making my heart bulletproof. It That's the thing that has made me, I think, quite hard edged moving forward because I'm very aware now in hindsight of the burden that I've been on people in the past because I haven't been able to get over stuff quickly. And I want to be able to get over stuff. Okay. One's never a burden to anyone who truly loves you. For those who are supporting someone through heartbreak, don't be emotionally disallowing, which means it takes as long as it takes, and some people it takes longer. Mm. And I guess, you know, when I'm working with someone, I can sense where they are, where they are raw. And we don't go in and make suggestions about what they've got to do differently when it's raw. And that rawness can take time. There's a very gentle holding and listening. There are three women who've been profoundly amazing in my life. My two aunts and my mother-in-law, who will be turning 91 this year. And when my marriage ended, second marriage, my brother flew my mother-in-law out to be with me for six weeks. And she held a space for six weeks as I walked and cried and didn't eat and didn't sleep and walked and cried and so on. Being able to hold that space for someone and not disturb their process is important. If you sense that they are really stuck and they're struggling, suggest that they reach out to see someone who specializes with this. That's the best thing we can do because very often as friends, we don't have the knowledge, the capacity to help somebody through this. Um, and that's the best thing we can do. 
I think as you've just explained that, I've realized exactly what I was doing, which was seemingly taking one step forward and then taking two steps back. And I wonder if that's also a um, a familiar pattern with heartbreak in that you think you you think you're over a bad bit and then suddenly you're pulled back in. And mm. I guess that is the point at which you say, maybe I do need maybe this is bigger. This heartbreak has opened yeah. up so many doors. Of yeah. The tidal wave is here and it isn't a job that I can manage on my own. And it certainly isn't a job that I can expect to delegate to my friends and my family who also yeah. have busy lives and are trying to get on with things. There's no shame in seeking support for a broken heart. Definitely not. Probably the best thing you can do because it's going to uncover other life areas um, and situations that need to be addressed. Um, clients very often try to convince me that they've gone right back to the beginning. Shelley, I haven't moved. It's the same. I, you know, there is the kind of a bit of a regression. Mm -hmm. And that's really that whole model of change where, you know, we, we're unhappy about something. We make a decision. We keep on going. We kind of get there, and then there's a bit of a regression. Mm. Uh, where we think we've gone right back to the beginning, and it's never that we've gone back to the beginning. Um, we kind of unpack that and really look at it, and it's never so. But mm. feeling stuck is so hard. And I wish I'd had this, and then I've developed this process over the years. Mm -hmm. That's why my heartbreaks have been so valuable in defining and refining a process that works because it took me a good three months and um, looking like a skeleton, but out of it was born something so, you know, immensely valuable. And I often say, I wish I'd had this to help me to understand that what I was going through was normal and not to get stuck. Mm. I would have loved to have moved through it more quickly. But then again, it also had to do with my then attachment style. And that's another whole subject on its own. Mm -hmm. Attachment is formed in early childhood, um, anxiously attached, securely attached, or avoidantly attached. And I was a combination of the two, what we call so a disorganized attachment style. So I come from very difficult early beginnings that fed into how I showed up with heartbreak mm. and went through my process. And the, you know, the depths of it that were so difficult. Securely attached individuals get through this far more quickly. Because they, because they don't lose themselves as much? Mm, well, they, you know, they have secure attachments. Mm. They approach life differently. But attachment style can change. It's behavioral. Awareness is the key to all change. So understanding, you know, we don't know what we don't know. Mm. And when we're going through it and we don't know it, it's even harder. But once we do, this is where change starts to happen. And that's mm. why I love being a coach, because we take those tiny steps together. Everything is always about our next step. Mm. So heartbreak can actually be incredibly, it, it can be, not that one would see it like this as when you've just received no. the text, but it can be a, a really wonderful opportunity to grow. Um, if you can trust that that's at the end of the, the hideousness. Yeah. We don't want it, and it is the best time to do the work, to grow, to really start from a new foundation, a clear foundation, defining who we are, what we want, and how to go about getting it.
Do you take your heartbreak into your next relationship or friendship? And not in the not in the sense that you sort of lay out all the finer details, but if you have gone through this, if you have been hurt, it will perhaps form or influence how you attach and how you bond with somebody moving forward. Do you ever explain the past and take it into the how your ending might influence your next beginning? We all have a story. We have experiences that are part of us at a very deep cellular level, even generational, that we bring into a space with someone. And we share our stories and our experiences. Mm. If we're stuck in the grief, it's not a good thing to share. Um, so we take the learnings into our new relationships. Mm-hmm. There is an I'll share this as well, a qualifying process in friendships and intimate relationships. Relationships and friendships work where we share the same values. And I very often say, I don't allow anyone into my intimate world unless they raise the bar in my life. That's how I approach my relationships and friendships. Mm. Um, And my highest values I share with my friends and my partner and I'm incredibly boundaried about respect and feeling valued and reciprocity Mm. so when we go into a new friendship or new relationship we take our time to qualify don't think this isn't it's not in the book it's in the next book gotta remember which one (laughs) months months one to three we qualify values Take three months to really assess, are you who you say you are Mm. and what you do? Because not that someone says, it's their behavior that we really are looking at. When Mm. someone shows you who they are, believe them. Mm. Don't go into your own fantasy version of what you want them to be. Mm. Months three to six, you're qualifying behavior. We all have a shadow side. Parts of ourselves that we don't really like that we try to hide or that we disown and we'll judge in another. So you want to watch that behavior very often within three months, it's already there. Sometimes much earlier, um, somebody had been dating someone for three weeks and the red flags were popping up quickly. And there's the behavioral stuff. Mm. Don't believe that it's going to change. Watch it. So three to six behavior. Six to 12 months, you're looking at commitment and investment where we are spending more time together. We're investing more financially, you know, physically, emotionally, financially, socially. I always there. The beginning stages of friendships and relationships. Bring them into your social circles quite quickly. You want to see who they are in relation to others. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember dating someone and started dating him in the June and the July was my birthday. And he was, of course, invited to my birthday, and I had a whole lot of friends around. And two of them, one of them that evening, one the next morning, said to me, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> They're great judges of character. And uh, already, but Did you, you know, think that? Did you, did you see the way that they were interacting with your friends and think, 
So that was the first time I put this person into a social um, setting like that. And um, I could see it was going to be a problem. Interesting. So, yes. so remind me again, months one to three is what? Values. Okay. Three to six, behavior. Mm-hmm. Six to 12, commitment and investment. So mm-hmm. time, money, socially. You're planning next summer's holiday. You're wanting to see that things are progressing that way. Mm-hmm. So you're qualifying. You know, even though you are dating and it's a relationship, is I'm the queen of go slow. The biggest mistakes are made because we fly through a process with a fantasy and we haven't qualified. Mm. You know, you, you, there's a three month probation period when you start a new job. It's a qualifying process for both. Do yeah. I like this team? Do I like the setup? You know, do are we aligned in our values? Because this is what takes a relationship forward into a future. Mm. We have to be with someone, I'll go through it again, who can emotionally moderate, who can reflect, who takes responsibility, and who's willing to work on themselves and the relationship. Great relationships do not just happen, they are made. Because mm. every relationship will hit a set point. Sometimes not friendships, but intimate relationships. Although friendship isn't intimate, but sometimes they flow and they're easier. Mm -hmm. But intimate relationships hit a set point where we need to do the work. Conflict is normal, not crazy conflict. But overcoming conflict and repairing and reconnecting is essential. And if you've got someone who refuses to do that and they are critical and they blame and they're defensive and they won't take responsibility, it's not going to work. It's interesting you said that about uh, friendships having more of a, a flow because mm. two of my closest friends, I couldn't tell you how the friendship started mm. because it just happened and now they're they're my best mates. But yeah. but I couldn't tell you I couldn't tell you about the first time that we met. Yeah. I couldn't tell you about the first few times that we went out for dinner because yeah. I, I don't think they required any thought. <laughs> There's that beautiful, beautiful connection and flow in these friendships. Mm. Uh, sometimes it's so profound. Yeah. But not in the end. <laughs> no, and but you don't want to ever go into a relationship or a friendship thinking that it's going to end. Well, we don't do that. Yeah. Uh, but we do qualify initially. And sometimes it flows so beautifully and you can just see all the ingredients are there for such a fabulous friendship. So, yeah, you know, those 12 core ingredients of a healthy relationship, yeah. they're all there. Yes. Yes, interesting. I think we do go into friendships and relationships with hope, but it's also, it's putting the brakes on that hope, isn't it? It's a big word, hope. Mm. More than anything, it's what we need most right now in our world. Mm-hmm. And hope, you know, kind of propels us forward. Um, my hope is eternal. Yeah. I love hope. Um, but we don't ignore the red flags. Don't ignore the red flags. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it normal as well <laughs> to have a sense of dread, to sort of be hopeful and think, oh, this could be something amazing. And then just as you think that think, oh, what if I've screwed it up and suddenly get paranoid? Okay, I'll call it maybe not dread, but anxiety. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, anxiety. I remember when I met him and we've been together for eight years. He's an architect and he used such a brilliant um, metaphor and analogy, really. 
when we were talking about something, we were three months in, and I mentioned something about future. And he looked at me and he said, yes, we just need to wait for this to cement first. Oh. Wasn't that beautiful? <laughs> His answer was yes. And, and that's what it is. Initially, we're there. And then the anxiety shows up because it hasn't quite cemented. Mm. It's not 100% clear yet which direction it's going and how they really do feel or, you know, the, have we, when one of my clients would say, Shelly, I think I overshared and I wonder if he's going to pull away. And he didn't. Um, we don't know. Mm. You know. We don't know what we don't know because we're still qualifying. Mm. We go into the situation hoping we like them, not that they like us. Mm. Something I have taught for 17 years because it's a very different way that we approach it. I hope I like you. Yeah. Because I know what I'm bringing to this. Mm. I know who I am. Um, how can you not like me? Not egotistically, but really full of self-worth and value. Mm. It does come back to, and every, everything in the book as well comes back to the core of, of you as a person and how these relationships can uh, amplify the good parts of you. They can be, they can make you feel absolutely wonderful. Um, but sometimes the cost is that heartbreak will be at the end of them, but it doesn't mean that you become less than, or you become um, broken or yeah, less. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It's called broken open. Broken open. <laughs> yeah. Your heart and your whole being gets broken open to so much more. Mm. Um, and discovering who we really are and the resilience, the human spirit is incredibly resilient. Mm. Um, fine tuning it with great knowledge and mm. practical steps uh, is the way forward. Because that's me being broken open in yeah. such a beautiful way. As in, I have grown from this. It was mm. the hardest thing I ever did. But I truly know who I am, what I want, how to communicate it, and how to have fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> relationships should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is the relationship success formula, by the way. Okay. It's five times fun to one times issue. Okay. If you're having five times issues and only one times fun, you become neurally wired to see this person as the enemy. Oh, okay. So we've got to be having fun in our relationships. That's what we do in the very beginning that bonds us. Mm. Um, and this is what we need to, no matter how hard life gets, find ways to have fun, to connect, to keep that connection. Because mm. there's a lot that disturbs connection. Mm. Gosh, that's, book no, that's book yeah. number four, by the way. <laughs> I was about to say, that's a whole other podcast. and we've, we've drawn to the end of our time together. But it's been so wonderful to speak to you. And thank you for being so helpful. And also genuinely, um, Healing Your Heartbreak in 28 Days is such an easy read. And it's such a wonderful companion. I, I read it as somebody who is not currently going through heartbreak, thank goodness. But as somebody who has been through heartbreak, I recognized its value and, and I did think, oh, I wish I had had this as oh. a source of comfort and as something to, to quite literally and physically and metaphorically to cling on to. 
So I encourage anybody who um, would like to actually reap the benefits of heartbreak, because I think that's an important thing to open up here is that it's horrible and it's a hideous thing that one has to go through, but something amazing comes out of having gone through it. And if you can switch your brain to think of it like that, then you can get real value out of Shelley's wisdom and Shelley's book. So the link to the book and obviously to Shelley's social media and website will be in the show notes. But Shelley, it's been so lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much. I have loved my time with you. Thank you, Emma. Really sad. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Thank you.